We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back in on 670 to score. In 2013, the Cubs took three from the White Sox and Bruce Levine here on Inside the Clubhouse. I think our next guest was uh, in those games. Uh, Our next guest joins us on the Alpamani Ford hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park. Ryan Sweeney, who does a tremendous job on the Marquee Sports Network as an analyst and a former Cub and Chicago White Sox player, joins us on Inside the Clubhouse. Good morning, Ryan. How are you today? Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, um, you know, you uh, uniquely played on both teams uh, and uh, have the, uh, you know, feeling about what North and South was all about. What was the the vibe, first of all, as a White Sox player playing the Cubs and then uh, eventually coming around and, and being on the other side of it? Yeah, so, you know, I was two different points in my career kind of when I came up with the White Sox. You know, I got drafted by them. I was a rookie, and then I was with the Cubs towards the end of my career. But I just always remember my first time to Wrigley Field as a White Sox player, Um, you know, being a rookie. And it might have been just because I was a rookie, but it could have been because it was obviously the rivalry as well. But I just remember distinctly this one time being out there shagging balls, you know, uh, Wrigley Field day game, and one of the fans up in the stands asked for a ball, and I threw it to him, and then they threw it right back at me, and I was like, okay, this is how it's going to be, <laughs> you know? It's just like that rivalry that, you know, the I play golf with a lot of guys that are that are uh, from the south side and White Sox fans, and I play golf with a lot of guys that are Cubs fans, so it's like you're either one or the other. There's no in-between, and growing up, it was kind of funny because uh, my grandparents were huge Cub fans, and uh, my grandma loved Sammy Sosa. And, uh, you know, when I got drafted by the White Sox, it, it didn't crush them, but they were like, you know, I will cheer for you, but I am not going to cheer for the White Sox. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, yeah, those two games in May of 2007, I'm looking at them, Ryan. You came in in the ninth inning in one, in the eighth inning in the other, and finished the game um, in, in the outfield. So take us then to 2013 when things are awfully different and you remember the Cubs uh, against the White Sox then. What, what's the feeling by then as opposed to how you just described coming up as a White Sox player? Yeah, I mean, it kind of depends on which side you're on, right? I mean, which, uh, which uh, stadium you're going to. But then, yeah, being with the Cubs in 2013, I was kind of more established as a player, had spent four years in Oakland. 
uh, been, spent some time with the White Sox, um, I mean with the uh, Red Sox. But it was kind of cool. Um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but like, and I don't know how many players have actually had this happen, but you know, I was on the 100-year anniversary for the Red Sox and the 100-year anniversary for the Cubs which was kind of a cool experience to be able to experience wow. that 100-year anniversary with both of those two teams and to have that happen. I actually think 14 was the Cubs' 100-year anniversary. Um, and then yeah, Wrigley Field, was, right? Yeah, yeah. And then Cubs was, I mean, the Red Sox was uh, 12. So, but, yeah, I mean, it was just a totally different feeling. I mean, I felt like uh, in 13 being with the Cubs, you know, you already knew what the rivalry kind of was. Um, you know, you were, you were more prepared for it than I guess when I was a rookie, when I was a White Sox. Um, but no, it's always a fun series. It's always, you know, that's the one thing that I think that's unique this year is, you know, there's no fans and there's not that buzz around the stadium and there's not, people aren't able to go. They got to watch it on TV, which I mean, is fine, but you just don't get that same feeling that you, you get when you're in the stadium and everybody's excited for the Cubs uh, White Sox series. Ryan Sweeney from the Marquee Sports Network joining us in Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. We're here for you every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking baseball on the score. Ryan, when uh, you look at the Cubs right now and you look at their offense, uh, you know, we talked to Ron Coomer about this a little bit in our uh, last segment. Uh, I I wonder what you think, um, you know, is missing as far as uh, the situation where they, they seem to get enough people on base. They're patient enough. They get, they take their walks. Uh, they grind, as uh, Matt puts it, they grind out at bats as well as anybody. But the results uh, just don't seem to be there. What do you think uh, has to be done to improve the uh, the Cub offense? You can't sit back and wait for the three-run homer every time. No, yeah, and I just don't think that they've capitalized when they've had, you know, even though the score was 8 to nothing last night, you know, they didn't capitalize when they had bases loaded, nobody nobody out. You know, you got to you got to bear down and at least get a couple runs in right there to try to change the momentum of the game. Um, I just think uh, you know, early on in the season and looking at some of the numbers, I don't think we really noticed that some of the guys weren't doing as well as they normally do just because it was so overshadowed by the starting pitching. I think everybody was talking about the starting pitching, how well it's doing, they're winning ball games, And, you know, not any one particular guy has got crazy hot in the lineup. And, you know, you got to get guys clicking on all cylinders. I know Bryant hasn't been in there a whole lot because of injuries. Um, You know, Rizzo and um, Baez have shown glimpses of, you know, hitting homers or getting the game-winning hit by Baez. But the whole team just hasn't put it together. I think, you know, once that starts clicking and – you know, they are still in first place. They're still four games ahead. You know, once that starts happening, I think things are going to uh, uh, turn around for these guys. But like you said, they do need uh, somewhat of a big bat. And what does that look like in the trade deadline? This is just such a unique year where who's going to be buyers, who's going to be sellers. It feels like we've just got it, got started with the season and we're already talking about one month left and we're going to be in September already. Yeah, we're going to talk about the trade deadline a little bit later too. It's a, it's hard, it's hard to imagine trading human beings in this atmosphere. Like, hey, you trust our health and safety protocols? Go be healthy somewhere else. Good luck, everybody. It's, it, it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's hard to do. But you know, you think players are prepared to deal with it, Ryan? How would you feel if you were traded in this particular atmosphere? 
I don't know how I would feel because I don't think anybody – I mean, no one's obviously been traded yet, and no one's been traded in this atmosphere. I think we've had guys that have maybe gotten, uh, you know, let go or whatever and been picked up by someone else and sent to the 60, 60 man squad. But, yeah, what does that look like? Does – you know, I, I don't know. Do, does they, do they have to be quarantined for a couple of days because they're coming from a different team? I just think this is such a unique situation and no one knows how to deal with it. And, um, you know, the only thing you can do is, you know, take precautions to not, you know, put yourself or your teammates in a bad situation like we've seen in, in certain cases. But, um, I mean, I, I feel like for the most part, uh, MLB is doing a great job with what they've been doing and they've been handling it. And I know we've seen a couple teams that have, uh, you know, not been able to play all their games, but, um, you know, I feel like they've gotten a better grip on it now with going through that, um, you know, midway mm-hmm. through the season. Want to mention real quick, Bruce, there was one deal yesterday, a couple relievers from the Red Sox to the Phillies. It's the first deal of consequence of major leaguers in the middle of the year. So we'll be checking that and see how they, the teams handle that situation. Yeah, I think they're very close or have already completed a second deal uh, for Boston as well. So, uh, mm. yeah, there will be teams making moves out there. There's no doubt about it, Ryan. And, and Matt's question was such a good one. Uh, and Theo Epstein addressed that yesterday, that uh, just moving uh, away from an environment that you know is safe and an environment you're – You've come accustomed to, and more importantly, trusting the people around you in this environment of the pandemic is something that, uh, you know, Epstein answered about the idea that maybe indeed uh, someone will even say, no, I'm not going to play after being traded because they don't trust that environment. So uh, it, it is, you know, the reality of the situation is certainly there. And as a former player, you know, environment uh, is everything to uh, to guys, right? As far as performing and, and in this particular situation, uh, your living conditions and <clears throat> counting on people around you to keep you safe. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then you're, you know, going to a different state, then you got to find a different place to live. I mean, I think we've seen a couple guys like, you know, I don't know if this is the reason, but like Lorenzo Cain, that, you know, once a uh, mm-hmm. team that you're playing against is test positive a couple times mm-hmm. and you're going against them and then you don't play, you know, four or five games in a row, um, he decided to opt out. So, you know, what does that look like? I mean, I think a lot of these teams, it's going to be interesting to see who is available as well. Um, You know, with these teams not bringing in the revenue that they normally have, um, we were talking last night, you know, there could be some guys that, you know, are making a lot of money that these teams, you know, don't want to pay the the last month and someone else is going to pick them up. But, I mean, you just don't know who's going to be available. I think that's something that Theo and Jed, I mean, those guys do a great job, and there's going to be internal conversations. And do you give up big key pieces to, you know, only have a 60-game season? And I think we all know that it's kind of, you know, who gets hot at the right time when it comes down to the playoffs. And with some of these teams possibly, potentially, maybe not getting 60 games in, you know, who's going to be fresh, who's not going to be fresh, and there has been a lot of injuries as well. He is the dauntingly handsome Ryan Sweeney. Uh, you see him on uh, on the Marquee Sports Network Thanks, sitting guys. far. Oh, yeah, daunting. It's daunting. Um, sitting sitting far away from Cole Wright, as, as far away as, uh, as as you can, or at least Maneker, but and yet and yet close enough. What a weird time to uh, 
to make your television pre and post Cubs analyst uh, debut uh, in terms of of marquee. It's just it's just a weird time to do it. How how has it felt to be a part of everything, Ryan, and and uh, and to see how uh, to see how it works from from this side of it as frequently as you are now? Yeah, it, yeah, it is interesting. You know, it has been fun though. It is. I mean, to be honest with you, now I don't know any different than sitting six feet away. I guess you know, it's yeah. kind of interesting not having anybody in the studio. But we did have. You know, one time me and Sean Marshall were in there with Cole, and it it does make it easier. Me and Carlos were talking last night off air, you know. It makes it easier when someone is in the studio with you and you're able to have those conversations. It's not it's not super easy to do everything over Zoom. Um, Carlos was saying last night, he was like, told me and Cole, he's like, hey, thank you guys. Like, you're making it seem like I'm almost there and we're having a conversation. Like, it's not easy for, for them to do the show remote and have to talk to us and you know getting your timing down of talking and who's talking when and stuff like that so it's an interesting environment for everyone not only the players but for the media as well when you look at uh the craig kimbrell situation what do you see where was he at you know where is he trying to get to and how far along do you think he is in his progression to becoming that guy that hall of fame uh you know, type pitcher that he once was. I mean, he's the active leading saves leader in the big leagues. I mean, you know, you know that he can do it and he knows he's got it in him. Like I think Dempster was saying, sometimes you just hit a funk, man. I mean, it's almost like the, the yips or I was talking to somebody the other day, like the, the Charles Barkley syndrome or the Chuck Knobloch not being able to throw or the Rick mm-hmm. Ankiel not being able to throw strikes. You know, obviously I think with him, it was something mechanical, um, the last three outings have obviously been positive ones, and it's good to see him get back into that normal form. Uh, you know, it was almost like his first outing, he couldn't find the strike zone. He was walking people. Then the next couple of times, he found the strike zone, but he was just throwing fastballs right down the middle, and we know that, you know, big league hitters are not going to miss those. And then the last couple of times, we've seen him kind of moving it in and out, throwing his slider down, you know, elevating that fastball at 98, which – is not easy to hit, and that's the interesting thing to me that I've seen the last couple of years, but even more so this year within the short season is, you know, these guys that throw 98 and stuff, and they're in hitters counts, and you see them throwing 2-0 change-ups and 3-1 change-ups. I mean, as a hitter, it just keeps them off balance, but, I mean, just throw the gas, man. Like, throw 98. <laughs> it's not easy to, to throw up high, like, you know, right under your armpit to hit 98, and I think you can see that, and you know, you can tell he's getting that confidence back a little bit. Um, obviously, I mean, not, and not being able to go over and talk to the pitching coach and talk to those guys because of the times that we're in. You know, you don't know what he's going through. But, um, you know, the first couple outings, it just seemed like he didn't have that confidence and he was kind of feeling for it and falling off the mound and stuff. But it looks like he's getting it back. And, I mean, I think that's a positive sign for, for Cubs fans. And knowing that when Craig Kimbrell comes into the game in the ninth inning that it's going to be – you know, a lockdown save. Maybe fans' biggest concern um, right now is is the way that Javier Baez looks at the plate. His last 10 games, Ryan, with 36 plate appearances, there's three hits in there, there's 16 Ks. It's an on-base percentage of 139. It looks like the driver is out and, and not the six iron or the seven iron. Looks like the driver on, on every approach. But that's just my amateur look. What do you see as you're watching Javier Baez up at the plate? 
Yeah, he just needs to shorten up a little bit. I mean, I think Carlos talked about it last night. Is uh, you know, I used to have a, a, a hitting coach to me in Double A AA and Triple A that would tell me, "Get your foot down, get your foot down." And I was always like, "What did he mean?" You know, like, "What did he mean, get your foot down?" But it is like. You have to be ready for those pitches and getting your foot down. It's just a subtle thing for him. But I would like to see him shorten up. I know it's tough. It's Javi Baez. We know he's going to go out there and swing the bat hard and go down to one knee a lot of the times on some of his swings. But, you know, he's just got to shorten up. When he gets two strikes on him, I mean, it's more important to, you know, try to drive the ball and put it in play than to try to hit that home run with the bases loaded. And I think last night, you know, these pitchers are throwing him outside and throwing, throwing those sliders away. And he's kind of just flailing at it. And, you know, when you, when you have bases loaded with, you know, one out like he did last night and you kind of just throw your bat out of slider away and, you know, ground into a double play, that's just a total uh, rally killer. Um, I mean, we know what type of hitter he is, and he's a good – I mean, the last two years that he's had have been unbelievable. But, um, you know, yeah, he just needs to stay within the strike zone, I think. You know, maybe maybe he get taking a couple walks, you know, would get him back on track just being able to yeah. see the ball. Um, the wrong he, wrong he, guy you're picking out for a walk. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but taking a couple pitches, I mean, I know he swings at the first pitch a lot, but um, and I know when you're going bad, it's not easy. I was the yep. type of player like I didn't I didn't mind hitting with two strikes on me. You know, I felt like I could um, still drive the ball. And he, you saw him in early work, and he was working out. You know, he cares. You know, he wants to do better. Nobody wants to do bad, but you know, maybe just getting back to him driving the ball the opposite field like he has before. Ryan, we appreciate it very much. Uh, keep doing the great work on Marquee. It's fun working with you when I'm over there. It's it's a good time, even with Cole there. We still have fun. So <laughs> Yeah, it is a good time. Yeah, so uh, take care. And uh, Matt and I really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the rest of the weekend uh, commentating. Thanks again for joining us. All right. Thanks, guys. Good show. Ryan Sweeney. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he's right. It is a good show. <laughs> this one? Well, I, th- I think he said good show, right? Was yeah. He, talking about, he was talking about his marquee show or us? I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. Um, <laughs> no, it, it, that was good stuff there on Bias. It's uh, good, yeah. honest stuff there on, on, on Javi in terms of let's, needing to shorten up every once in a while. Yeah, let's take that an- an- another step. I know it's been done, but uh, we're a baseball show. If you uh, are projecting to the future, and you are a Sox or Cub fan. Are you taking Anderson or Baez for the long run? 312-644-6767. We're going to go to break. He's Matt. I'm Bruce. It's inside the clubhouse on the score, 670 the score, 670thescore.com. With a shortened season and both the Cubs and Sox playing great baseball, the 2020 Crosstown Series will be more important than ever. And David drives one in the air to the center field fence. That ball is gone. Listen to Pat and Ron bring you all the action of every game here all weekend. Boy cracks this ball. Deep center field. Bring him home. Crosstown Series coverage on the score is brought to you by Xfinity. Xfinity X5 delivers blazing fast Wi-Fi with no curveballs. On Sports Radio 670, The Score, official radio home of the Chicago Cubs. This is Sports Radio 670, The Score, and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Anderson's a free swinger run. One thing he does not do is draw a lot of walks. He's been up 67 times three bases on balls. Yeah, he's definitely up there swinging the bat. 
He drives one toward right center. It had a good sound to it, but Almora does not know where it is. It's off the wall. He lost that in the twilight, and Anderson will streak to second with a double. Almora went over and then lost that ball in the twilight. It ended up hitting the wall near the 400-foot sign. Big chop over the mound, gloved by Mendick. Steps on second, throws to first, double play, and that ends the inning. The Cubs had the bases loaded with nobody out, but they walk away empty-handed. Those are the two shortstops that you referenced before the break. There, Bruce Levine, Javier Baez, and Tim Anderson. Javi with a, a double play that ends a bases loaded, nobody out threat, and Anderson with the double that Almora did indeed lose in the lights. Um, texters and tweeters sure have a thought. This is uh, one tweet, Bruce, to your question Who would you rather have, uh, long term, Javi or Tim Anderson? This is just Rob says, Let's see, current batting champion, contending 2020 batting champ versus hyped guy possibly slumping because his favorite manager and the fans are missing. Strong mind versus weak, says Just Rob. Colin Javi, weak-minded. The Mm. fans are feisty here in Cubs Sox weekend, Bruce. Well, I'll tell you, I'd like to have my choice between the two if I'm the other 28 teams. I mean, there's great shortstops everywhere, but uh, I think we're blessed to have the talent of both these guys here in Anderson is still learning the trade at shortstop defensively, and he's made some strides. Uh, He's worked extremely hard on his footwork. If you'll notice, uh, subtly, when you watch the game now, watch Anderson on the more common play uh, be more efficient. He's always been terrific at going into the hole, left or right, making an off-balance throw with a great arm and getting the guy out. The common play has been difficult for him. He's worked extremely hard uh, with uh, the, the White Sox coaches on just footwork and, and making sure that his feet are under him and making the uh, non-athletic play look uh, much easier. And he's done that. But uh, Javier Baez, uh, to me, is right there with the top one or two players defensively at shortstop in baseball. He is just terrific. He's like having a uh, an extra infielder out there. He's, he's your short center fielder and your shortstop, making throws from left field, um, normally right on the money. Uh, yeah, I, I think he, he's terrific. I don't think he gets enough credit for his play defensively. Uh, offensively, he's gonna get he's gonna get there. Uh, we know he's an outstanding offensive player. He slumped last year at the end of the season before he got hurt, uh, the beginning of 2019. He was one of the top offensive players in the game up until the All-Star break. So uh, this is, you know, just what goes on out there. But taking one or the other, Matt, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a, there's a gun pointed to your head. Who are you taking? Um, well, this is see, for the, thing the is... next two or three years. I mean, there there is a, there is a situation, I... of course, about con- uh, contract control that's coming yeah. up as well. Yeah, so if I'm taking that into account, it's a no-brainer for TA because that Mm -hmm. deal is unbelievably team-friendly and there's control and you don't have to worry about extending or possibly uh, trading and and all of that. Magic, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and and overall I might – overall I'm probably taking Tim Anderson right now too Um, just because, I, you know, I was scared in 2015 
by Javi's approach and the length of that swing and the 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 amount of time before the ball gets there that he needs to to load up and make his decision. I thought he was never going to get there, but he did. He did shorten up. He did start looking opposite field and started to look like Manny Ramirez or Miguel Cabrera with those kind of possibilities. Um, but to see him falling back into those habits is is troublesome. Um, so it's just going to need he's going to need some managing, some real some real managing and some real uh, conversation and help getting back to that kind of spot. Whereas what Tim Anderson has done over the past couple of years, and it appears he's continuing to do is is make some incredible adjustments to have more bat control all over the field. You talked about the adjustments and the effort to be better defensively and Tim is trying to make the adjustment to take more pitches and be more of a prototypical leadoff hitter, have some very long at bats, which we've seen a couple of times. So the arc is trending uh, much more in the the Tim Anderson way than it is the Baez way right now. It's well, neither guy is going to walk, you know, you're you're not going to get walks out of uh, Tim Anderson. Uh, You're you're, what you're going to get is what you're talking about. Uh, Production, um, a batting average. And now, added OP uh, on base percentage and slug from that, you're getting more slug out of Tim Anderson now. And I always thought that he was going to be a 25, 30 home run guy because uh, both of these guys have something that you can't teach. Both Baez and Anderson have some of the quickest bats and bat speed in baseball. Okay. You can't teach that. You have to have it. And, and it's there for both of them. And Anderson is adding uh, the the slug part uh, to to the mix as well. I think he's going to be a 25, 30 home run guy. I think he's going to be a 40 double guy. And I think they're going to be uh, Baez. You know, again, still a very young player at 27. Uh, he he's going to continue to be an all star. So I, I would love to have that selection if I'm a major league baseball general manager. And uh, with the uh, contract running out on Baez after 2021. We're not sure he's going to stay a Cub. They were working hard to get there. But with the new economics of baseball, with the pandemic and uh, the fact that revenue streams are are very, very uh, limited, uh, one doesn't know if the Cubs are going to be able to keep Baez or any of their free agents going forward. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like I think we have the, the prevailing wisdom over the last year or so is that if they have to make a decision between Bryant, Baez, and let's say Rizzo um, or and Schwarber, like all those guys, like somebody's going to get re-signed and get the big money. I think prevailing wisdom was that we were going to see Baez. And is that still is, is, is that still well, what makes, you think? It, it makes sense uh, because of the totality of the player, okay? A world-class defensive shortstop to go along with a guy that can hit 35 and drive in 110, okay? Even in the years where he won't hit 35 and he hits 25 and – maybe drives in 80 or 90, you have that world-class shortstop at the most important position on the field, okay? So mm-hmm. that's why I think it's a prevailing thought that uh, if you have to make a pick of those really good players and you'd like to keep them all, that you keep the all-star shortstop uh, above and beyond the other guys. It's fun. It's, it's fun to have this with Cubs Sox. It, it reminds me a little bit of Grace and Frank Thomas in those years. Um, Konerko and Derek Lee, uh, and mm-hmm. those 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 kind of conversations, and Abreu and Rizzo uh, right now, uh, yeah. and those those kind of conversations. It's good stuff. Uh, to, and to Matt, have take it now. a step further. Uh, I'm sorry to step on your you there. You're good. So, uh, um, 
take it a step further. What about the excitement level and the energy level that both guys bring to their teams and their yep. fan bases? I mean, do, are, are there are there more electric guys uh, on either side of town than Tim Anderson and Javier Baez? We talked about the fact that Javi's kind of missing that right now because of the fact that he's not making enough contact and he's not hitting as much. But nonetheless, uh, two of the more exciting guys, Anderson, you know, your total in-your-face, you know, right now player, uh, trying to bring more young people into the game, enjoying the game, seeing uh, that there is uh, some fun and enjoyment uh, just showing your personality, not being afraid of the consequences mm-hmm. by upsetting another team, not believing in the old school way of playing baseball. I think it's refreshing, to be honest with you. There was a moment last night. Oh, it's absolutely true, Bruce. And there's something wonderful and and compelling and and uh, you know just really attractive uh, about Tim Anderson's uh, charisma, and he's had it. I'll say stuff and make you laugh, whether it was the pasta this week that he had so mm. much pasta party at my house. Then yesterday <laughs> we played we played the cut earlier with McNeil and Parkins. We were talking about, let's see who's got the bigger pants because both the Cubs and Sox put on their pants at the same time. There's a moment last night I'm watching the game. I think it's after the Abreu home run, the sixth of the night, and obviously they're very happy and giddy. But Tim Anderson is kind of holding court in the dugout with Eloy and Abreu. And when fans hear guys talk, Sometimes they'll need a translator. Sometimes it's uh, it's Eloy's English, which is pretty good, but you figure he speaks mostly in Spanish to his teammates or whatever. There's all those guys sitting around, Abreu and Eloy, laughing with, with Tim. It's like, if you think Tim is charismatic with the media, with the public, how do you think his teammates feel about him? I'm sure he makes it really, really fun for those guys, and that matters. There's, there's no better example than uh, looking at the White Sox when he was out with his uh, groin injury and uh, the, the flatness of their offense during that time. He, he brings uh, the, the tremendous energy and uh, a lot of leadership in, in the things he does. And, and not everybody's going to like it, Matt. I mean, a lot of people, you know, look at him and go, you know, wh- where does he get off showing this much personality and getting in other teams and players' faces? And the, the reality is, is that he's not doing anything personal. He's just being Tim Anderson. Just being and him. to me... To me, that's the refreshing part of he's just expressing his personality out there and he's backing it up. Now, if you're hitting 210 and you're going through the gyrations of being Tim Anderson, it's not exactly uh, what you want. But this guy backs it up. Javier Baez, for most of his career, maybe he's slumping now, of course, he backs it up by being a great player offensively, defensively, on the bases, you know, charismatic, you know, El Majo, you know, the whole thing. So from mm-hmm. the from the whole the whole point of view is we are really lucky here in Chicago to have two electric guys playing shortstop for our teams. You know, it, 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 we, we t- mentioned Abreu and, and Rizzo, and I'm thinking in terms of the overall game, their overall approach to the game, I don't know if there's a Cub whose game I respect more than Rizzo's, and I don't know if there's a White Sox player I respect more than Abreu in terms mm-hmm. of the way they go about their business overall. What Rizzo does with two strikes is the model for what everybody should do with two strikes. Um, and then Abreu in the clutch in big situations always has good at bats and and produces so often and just in general, it's kind of a calm leadership and an exemplary leadership. And he's happy to let other guys have voices. It's just, 
they're 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 oddly similar, even though their games are are, are different. Um, but they're oddly similar in in those kind of the veteran respectability roles that they've both grown into, Bruce. Well, yeah, I'm going to be honest about it and say that uh, I didn't think Abreu was as clutch uh, early in his career. And then I look back and realize he didn't have much around him, you know. I mean, they, they 2016, they started out hot, uh, and they were the best team in the American League for about 40, 50 games, and then nothing after that. But other than that, uh, he's been on losing teams uh, with veteran players that weren't getting it done. So I, I'm going to give him a, a, just a little bit of a, you know, a, a pass because he's still putting up 30 and 100 and, and putting up you know, numbers. He just didn't have really the supporting cast around him. Now, with the group that they built around him, uh, you're seeing what type of player he really is. And I think you're right. He's going to be a more clutch player because there are more clutch situations and, and teams cannot just pitch around Jose Abreu. 670, the score is where you are in his career uh, in terms of clutch. Two outs, runners in scoring position. In his career, Jose Abreu has a 948 OPS. Two yeah, outs, runners in good. scoring position. Right? That's pretty good. It's, yeah. it, it's problem it's, is they, they couldn't get guys in scoring position yeah. often enough. Yeah. That, but that's, uh, that's what I'm alluding to. But yep. yeah, you're right. When he has the opportunity... He gets it done, but the opportunities are going to present themselves a lot more now with the group around him. Uh, we talked with Ryan Sweeney about trades and the pandemic. A trade did go down yesterday. The, the details of it are really interesting. And Theo Epstein talked about the possibility of trades before the game yesterday. We'll do that next. He's Bruce. I'm Matt. It's inside the clubhouse on 670 to score. Hey, it's Danny Parkins here from the Mac and Parkins Show, afternoons 2 to 6, reminding you that you can listen to The Score remotely on your laptop, your mobile device, through the Radio.com app, or just tell your smart speaker to play 670 The Score. Count on us to cover the stories that matter to Chicago sports fans because we're live and we're local. It's the Mac and Parkins Show, afternoons 2 to 6, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. I think every team is going to be cognizant of of who they're bringing in and how responsible they would be, how much you can count on them. And and also if if acquiring the player puts them in an untenable situation, you know, it might be it might be hard to acquire somebody who's you know got a great setup with their family in a certain spot geographically and then you're going to pull them out of there and put them in put them into a situation where they're not set up to have stability or set up to have success. You have to weigh, weigh it from that end too. So like impact on our group and on, on the execution of the protocols, but then also impact on the individual and making sure you're asking something realistic of somebody as well, come in and help depending, depending on the, the individual. Theo Epstein before the game, Jesus went to Chicago or Jesus just left Chicago. Is the, uh, is the cut both. from Z? What's that? He, he did both. He did both, right? He had to go there. He had to come here if he was going to yeah, leave here. Yeah. 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 He, he, he passed through. That should be the name of that ZZ Top track. Jesus passed through Chicago, perhaps. But he had Cover to both quarantine for two weeks afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> How were health and safety protocols in biblical times, Bruce? I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think the uh, social distancing was good. I think it was good back then. Much better. It's, a lot less people, you know. Yeah. So yeah. 
It's easy yeah. to do, you know. Uh-huh. Um, everybody's, everybody's smelled bad because they didn't bathe as well. I, I'm, I sure, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that. Well, we smell better. Uh, players smell better. We bathe. Uh, players are doing their best with health and safety protocols. That's Theo talking about the difficulties of making a trade um, at this point. I mentioned earlier the trade that the Red Sox and the Phillies made. It's really interesting mm -hmm. to look at the details of it, Bruce, because um, Heath Hembry was thrown in by the Red Sox. He's a free agent after 2022, but he goes along with the closer, Brandon Workman, who goes to the Phillies, and he's a free agent to be, so that's a rental. So here's, here's what they get. They get Nick Pavetta, who's a 27-year-old starter who's about to enter arbitration. And they liked him before, but he hasn't done much. So the Red Sox are taking a flyer on him. And they get a 24-year-old minor leaguer who is like the 24th-ranked prospect in the Phillies system. And, and then I noticed this. The Phillies, or the Red Sox, had to kick in $800,000 to the Phillies. The salaries mm -hmm. of Workmen and Embry only amount to 1.1 yep. million the rest of the way. Yep. So 800 grand had to go from Boston to Philly, and maybe that has to do with the luxury tax. But but it's just it seems like it's a market for buyers. If you can get a deal done, it feels like a uh, like a it might be a market for buyers at this point. And, well, you know, again, um, the the revenue streams for for both sides. You know, dumping salary, taking yep. on salary knowing you're not going to have any more revenue uh, coming in uh, this year. That's that's a really tough one. And how seriously does an organization take 2020 as far as winning the mm -hmm. tournament? I mean, is that a big deal for you to sacrifice players and or, or money or to get back money? Um, it's just uh, it's, it's a very convoluted mix. Then you throw in the health concerns on both sides for the player, for the teams acquiring uh, these players. It's, uh, you know, you're going to see more trades, but it's a, it's a strange and risky business that they're in right now just to take on more money and then also the health protocol. Yeah, it's interesting. The Phillies um, obviously are, are, are very much going for it. They're paying Harper. They're paying all the other guys that they brought in. JT Real Muto is a free yep. agent to be. Maybe they think this is their moment. And their bullpen, well, their had bullpen an eight, has been horrible. Yeah. An ER, ERA over eight through 21 games, which is the, the, yep. the worst the worst in the game, as you mentioned. Um, boy, boy, that's fascinating. So Theo talked about whether a big name would be traded. You, it, like, And I think he refused to rule it out. This is Theo before the game yesterday would not rule out a big name being traded. It's certainly a complicated landscape this year, so... I think, um, you know, there are a lot of years when like, we know we have uh, an impactful move or two in us, and it's a question of finding, finding it and executing on it. And, you know, this year, the, the moves might be more, more complementary, and there might be some internal solutions. You know, in the game overall, I'm not, uh, you know, you may still see those big moves if there's, like, if there's a perfect match where one team's needs um, – uh, long-term complement another team's short-term needs and you see a, a big trade but there are certainly obstacles to that um, industry-wide and, and and in our situation so we're not limiting ourselves to you know dreaming about you know big names certainly open to it if it if it were to happen we've done pretty big trades at the deadline most years but um, the the smaller moves where you where you get 
um, incrementally better in a couple of different areas, especially that address certain needs, um, can, can make a big difference as well. So that's Theo. They, they have done big moves at the deadline. Nick Castellanos last year, and he was great before going to Cincinnati, where he's right. somehow even better. Um, but it's interesting you're talking about big big names there, like maybe coming here. I was thinking it might be about big names leaving here, but that's not yeah, the position we're in, obviously. I, I, I probably probably not, but you know it, it's yeah. a possibility. I don't, you know, I, I can't see in a season like this, you know, Anthony Rizzo or Bryant or you know somebody with Schwarber getting traded. I mean, first of all, the most important thing is when you're trading young people right now. You're going on scouting reports that are almost a year old, okay? Nobody has seen any of these young players play Mm -hmm. since September of last year. That's huge. You don't know physically where they're at. You don't know uh, emotionally where they're at. You don't know uh, how they progressed. You know that some of them have just been sitting around for the last uh, five months now, not doing anything since spring training ended in March. So from that perspective, you're, you're really rolling the dice on some old information in an era where information about players right exactly. now is most, yeah, absolutely, Matt. So from all of that, um, you are really rolling the dice uh, to see. I, I think the Cubs are going to try to add a bullpen guy, a left-handed pitcher. Uh, they certainly need someone to go along with Kyle Ryan out there or a righty that can uh, get left-handers out. Those are a must. I think the White Sox uh, might be in the same boat. They don't need any position players. What they need is uh, bullpen fortification or another starter if uh, Lopez is not up to uh, being able to come back here. So from that perspective, uh, neither team is going to give up uh, the house uh, for uh, picking up somebody that will help them. I I think the Cubs need uh, just a little bit more help on on where they want to go right now. Yeah, you know, and if the cost is going to be anything like what we're seeing yesterday, it's just, it's not going to be much. I mean, like, how do you, what do you pay for a rental starter who's literally going to give you, you know, um, going to give you five starts? Like, if you're trading at the deadline here, you're looking well, for four or five starts out of somebody and maybe I, I think, ma- maybe uh, some in-between side days? I think the innings is the key right now. You know, we're seeing mm-hmm. the attrition and we... I pointed this out to you last week. Uh, the 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 IL is uh, almost double and maybe triple uh, for the first you know 30 days of any season over the last three years this year. So uh, that continued attrition, where teams, even if they have a good record by the time the season ends here on September yeah. 27th, Matt, they might be out of pitchers. Might they might be out of guys that can go even three or four innings. You know, let alone five or six. So just innings eaters, uh, guys that can go five innings and give up three runs would be king for a lot of these teams, uh, you know, when they project what they have to do here in the next nine days before the trading deadline. Amazing. Uh, it's uh, it's just such a weird time, and it's but it's nice to be able to focus on this stuff. I wonder, you know, this is right now this atmosphere is as good as it can get for Cubs Sox w- without fans. I don't mean atmosphere. I guess like the circumstance in terms of them both being good. Might be even better. September 27th, when we get three games on the south side, I think yeah, they're both they're 20. both in there fighting for playoff positioning, something like that. Be nice. What a what a what a sweet dream that would be. Uh, the last three days of the season, both teams fighting to either win a division or stay in the playoff hunt. That's going to be great. Hey Matt, we have people to thank, don't we? 
We do. Thank you to our guest today, Ryan Sweeney from the Marquee Network. And thank you to Ron Coomer from 670 The Score. Thank you to Julio Rauseo, who does a great job producing. Tomorrow morning on Hit and Run, it's me from 9 to 12, or maybe a little bit later. And uh, we've got Sean Marshall from Marquee at 10, and A.J. Przinski of Fox TV will join us at 11. So that's I'll be listening. Uh, People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Also right on our website at 670thescore.com, both Cubs and Sox. Every day, have a great week, Matt, and enjoy the weekend Cubs and Sox series. Thank you, Bruce. Mark Grody and Steve Rosenblum are next. I know they've got Mark Gonzalez and Josh Nelson from Sox Machine coming up on 670 The Score. Have a great day, everybody. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.